0: welcome to the oxygen mask podcast if you're here as a parent or caregiver educator or grandparent we are glad to have you listening this podcast is geared for the autism parent but we welcome and invite all who are drawn to be here with us i'm beth and i'm your host the title of this podcast the oxygen mask is based on a metaphor just as you're instructed on an airplane to put on your own oxygen mask before helping others We believe we need to practice helping ourselves as parents so we can best help our children. And at the beginning of every episode, we're gonna take that metaphor and turn it into a concrete practice. Pausing just a few times every day to quiet our busy minds and breathe into our bellies provides stress-reducing neurochemicals. With practice over time, we actually build pathways in our brain that help reduce our stress response. So even if you hit play on this podcast, ready to enter multitasking mode, please take a moment of pause for yourself. Close your eyes and bring your attention to your feet as they contact the surface beneath them, rooting you to this place, this moment. Roll your shoulders back and let them settle in a strong, relaxed posture. Take a belly breath in through your nose Feel the sensation of air at the rims of your nostrils, curling through the back of your throat. Exhale slowly, noticing your chest fall and your belly soften. Draw another deep breath in. Envision cool air swirling up to your forehead, around and even inside your skull. Exhale, letting the cool air flow down the back of your neck, across and inside your shoulders, and down your back. Bring your attention to your face as you take a final cleansing breath in. Notice your temples, eyebrows, and jaw. Whatever you find there, let it be. At the top of your in-breath, bend your elbows and softly place your hands on your hips. Exhale slowly, perhaps letting a smile curl the corners of your mouth. Hold this posture for a few seconds as you open your eyes. Again, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to the Oxygen Mask Podcast. This is episode 24. I'm excited to have a guest today to introduce you to someone I've known for years and an idea, a role that I think could be a great resource for many of you listeners. Tara Mann is a care coordinator and works with my family through our pediatrician. She is an asset when navigating medical systems, and she's been a resource for me lending some continuity to our journey over the last several years. Tara, welcome, and thanks for being here. Thanks, Beth. I'm glad to be here. So how does this moment of spring transitioning to summer find you and shaping your days lately?
1: Well, I, I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm actually feeling that I'm breathing out and exhaling. Um, it's summer; spring is here, and summer's on the horizon. And um, kids and family are are more positive and looking forward, and um, hopefully making plans for summer adventures. Um, so that that's really that's really positive and. And I'm looking to some adventure and plans as well. Oh,
0: good. That's exciting. I know. It just feels like there's a horizon to kind of look forward to. It really is. So let's just dive right into your your rock star role as a (laughs) care coordinator. Um, What does your work entail? And um, how did you kind of come to be a care coordinator? Well, uh, care... Coordination
1: is, um, for me, it's a role where I get to connect with families, mostly families with children with special health care needs of some sort. And um, I help to navigate and provide resources, point of contact um, to help to access care in more of a coordinated and um, sort of a specialized and personal way. Um, I think then you asked me is how do I get to this role? And, uh, I have been, uh, working as a care coordinator for the past 10 years and kind of started at its infancy. And, uh, so I came to care coordination from more of a role of a parent who, um, has a, actually I have two children and they both had special needs, but, um, they, uh, I guess I had the experience with their their growing up in learning how to uh, navigate and educate and advocate for my children um, in the the world and in um, in the community. So those experiences brought me to this role, and I thought it was an opportunity to, really put into use my, um, experiences to help other families in some way.
0: I never knew that. That is great that, so in a way that like many of us are out here kind of, um, hoping that the path for someone behind them might be a little bit easier. And it sounds a little bit like you also are hoping to ease out or flatten out some of those bumps that, that families experience. Yeah. I think you've said
1: it really well. Um, That was my hope. I, I, uh, when my um, children were little and um, my son has life-threatening food allergies. So when he was 18 months old, he was diagnosed with multiple food allergies um, and anaphylaxis and that was uh, um, before internet. (laughs) So even to get to the point of diagnosis was asking everyone I know, talking to the doctor, saying something's not right. Um, What is this? How do we figure this out? How do I care for my child? And from that point, and we were able to figure out a diagnosis, then it became a learning and educating process. Um, there was no help from our physicians. There was no where to go, no one to ask. It was a lot of just figuring it out on your own. But what I did eventually do is find a support group and find other parents who had these similar experiences. And we learned from each other and we grew with each other. And and then we took our experiences and shared them with others to hopefully make that path a little bit more comfortable and a little less frightening and that other people share similar concerns. And everybody has their own path um, to this, but um, hopefully some of those experiences um, come into play. And uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about my story.
0: Yeah, that really comes through in checking in with you. You've been a voice of calm sort of and reassurance, um, I'm sure to many families, including ours. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about what the role entails. Um, and I know when we talked earlier, you said some kind of shortcutting the system, making care a little bit more efficient. So you, you're matched with a doctor or two in the practice or the whole group of doctors. How does that work? Yeah, I
1: actually work with all the doctors in the practice and um, essentially families are referred to care coordination. I'm not the only care coordinator in our practice, but they would be referred to a care coordinator. We all have different um backgrounds and strengths. Um, so we um then will, you know, make contact with families and um kind of talk about what maybe help that they're looking for or referrals, or um, is it information on how to navigate things? Are there questions about their, what do we do next? And um, and then we just kind of go from there. But oftentimes mm-hmm. doctors will make that referral to, to me or ask me to meet with a family who maybe needs some help and think that we could be helpful and supportive to them. And as far as the access or like shortcutting the system I would say sometimes families have complex stories, and to have to go through the main route to get to your doctor, your questions answered, can be a lot of time to go through the scheduling and then go to your triage. And then the triage calls you and they take more information and then they go to the doctor and then it goes back around. Well, if somebody's familiar with your child and what's going on, and um, they can reach out directly to me or your care coordinator, they already know the story. So you just pick up from where you left off. And so I think that's just more efficient for families and families with children with special health care needs. They, they, they don't need to have to tell their story again and again to get what they need when it can be just really quick and direct. And so in that way, I think we help to shortcut the system.
0: Yeah. The example you gave of having to you know, leave a message and get called mm-hmm. back by a nurse or because sometimes it's really hard to know like what pieces of autism for our family are relevant to this situation. I'm not really sure, but I would, you know, right. um, but anyway, sometimes with different sick visits or questions about medication or something to be able to um, have a direct access um, is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um
1: I was going to say, Beth, I think that to, you know, families with children with like developmental delays, um, or autism, really, there are a lot of questions and you don't know, is this one I should bring to my doctor? Is this, uh, this is question, do I need to make an appointment? And so if you have that connection with somebody who has a little bit of familiarity with your family and can help process that and, um, just support you know, mm-hmm. support families and their questions that these are really valid. And, you know, if I don't know the answer, we're going to get the answer from the person that can answer that and whoever that may be, and sort of navigate that piece too. So yeah. sometimes it's nice not to have to call the nurse and ask this question when you're maybe like, is this a question that I ask the nurse? I don't know. Um, so yeah. that might be yeah. helpful too in that regard.
0: And it feels like there's also somebody to hear, um, an additional person to hear in in your role, the different things at play. Like for a while it was, are we dealing with anxiety and a mental health struggle or a sensory overwhelm? And it's not like you have the answers to that, but you can be familiar with those pieces of of gears sort of that are spinning in our system. And so I, I recall asking you, um, and let me know, Tara, if this isn't a good example, but it might resonate with listeners um, how um, I had said, I think we're, we're ready to do a, a period, maybe a year or so of occupational therapy and Um, many times when I'm working with educators, they're not allowed at all, of course, to, to do referrals to, to, or they don't do referrals. They don't call them referrals. They can't really say you should go here, but you in your role can say, I know families who have been successful here and here. Um, and that was just really helpful because parents don't really have a centralized or direct route to information like that. Um aside from maybe social media and, you know, other families at school that we know of? Yeah, I think, um, I think those are really good questions too,
1: is in um, good, good understanding that the school district is limited in making those recommendations for additional support and school districts do amazing things. And they're, it's really important to be connected early with your school programs. But, you know, those are things that like occupational therapy is a support and we're really working hard at getting children that early intervention, that's going to help them along the way. And if families are ready and have the time and the capacity and the, to, um, to take on more therapies, you know, that's certainly something that we would bring back to the doctors and say, is this appropriate, do you feel that, you know, can we go ahead and make a referral? And um, there's, there's absolutely no denying families, you know, a route to more
0: care and supportive care. So what do you hope for families from, you know, that first, maybe observing differences with their child, some concerns, what is your hope in terms of continuity? Well, I feel like, first of all, the, I hope the
1: experience for families, if they bring questions and concerns about their child, their development or their, you know, social interaction or whatever the current concerns may be, I I hope the experience with their physician is positive and supportive and informative and gentle (laughs) and kind and kind of talking about, you know, what the next step would be to help figure this out a little bit more and why that's important. Those those things, you know, if it's done in a um, a way that feels good, maybe would help help a family take those next steps and be more ready than just here's a piece of paper that has <laughs> call this number and they're gonna, you know, um, it just feels not as good, and that the continuity there isn't any type of warm handoff to that next step, and that I think would be wonderful if we could see that happen more often. And that little bit of handholding that could happen at a point when somebody may need it. You know, a lot of families wouldn't, you know, want that or care for that or need that, but there are a lot of families who would really like that. And um, and it's just like that little handhold to the next step, right? It's just, here's here's what we're going to do, and this is why we do it, and this is, you know, what can come from this, this is the, the benefit. And, and then from a care coordinated care coordination role, that's, we step back. And then if um, families have the next question about a next stage or recommendations for other things, then they might, you know, you would contact me again and we have continue our conversation. And um, Beth, you and I have talked for years. (laughs) So the conversation can continue and it feels like talking with a friend now as well. Um, And uh, so I hope the continuity of care starts there. I hope and wish that there is collaboration and continuity between the schools. And if you're connected with early intervention through the school district that there is conversations and um, connections with your physicians. So that helps to add To the picture. And then you have, you know, again, multiple people who are involved with your child and their care that, um, that that's, that's happening. And speaking of, of that piece is that often a gap where we see the school district and um, pediatricians aren't or family practice doctors, medical world, there isn't really a great connection there. That seems to be um, not something that happens all the time. And there's releases involved and there's steps that sometimes don't happen. So um, there's a little bit more of a disconnect there, but that's something that we um, continue to work for and certainly you can ask for, right? If you mm-hmm. want that to happen. I think that one of the most important things is that you build a relationship with a primary physician so that you have a provider who knows your child and his watches and understands and knows them as they grow and as you grow. So you have this relationship that you're comfortable to ask questions if they're something that, you, um, you have a relationship and that's really important. And I think it's hard if families kind of jump around and, or skip a couple of years because our child's been healthy. It's really so valuable to have those touch points and those checkups.
0: Right? The care coordinator role that you're in isn't part of every pediatric practice or every um, hospital or anything, but can you tell us a little bit more? There are different structures and different
1: titles for care coordinators in different systems. So it's not all things are the same, but the state of Minnesota started a program a number of year, years ago, um, uh, maybe 12, 13 years ago, um, called healthcare homes. And it's a certification, um, that, um, clinics can, can, uh, I guess supply or apply for, and they have to meet certain standards. And as far as standards of care and uh, care coordination is part of that certification and clinics must have care coordination in some way. And usually people who are dedicated in that role in some, um, some fashion. And so you can look on the um, Minnesota department of health website, and they would have a list under healthcare homes, of clinics who are healthcare home certified. So, if you're looking for specifically uh, a, a you know a physician who works with a clinic who has that support um, for families, that's one way you could find it. Um, I think it's kind of a hidden thing. <laughs> you know, it's not right up front. Um, I mean, we do we, we do say we have care coordination, um, as a clinic. However, I think only once can I think of a family who reached out to me and said, um, you know, I saw this on the website, what do you do? And so I don't know that people look for it and see it or question it. Right. So most of our help comes from, you know, um, clinicians saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to have you talk to Care Coordination to help get you connected.
0: Um, so, anyway, I, I always think that's funny, but um, funny the person.
1: Who,
0: yeah, funny the person who hunted you down and asked, <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And in, in 10 years, only one. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so, well, maybe I... after your podcast, we'll have a couple more. I don't know. <laughs>
0: People looking. <laughs> but I do wonder, like, I don't think I would really need care coordination for one. O- I don't need it for my mm-hmm. one child and I need it for my other. And you're not going to know, nobody knows what they're going to get when they're having kids and, yeah, and yeah. how kids develop well, and grow. But And I would say in the same, same thing, uh, that
1: is not all care coordinators are going to do the same. So, you know, what we, you and I have talked about over years is not going to be the same that I necessarily would talk with another parent about. And it really is, is individual based on needs and care coordination is essentially a model that's structured around supporting families as long as they have a need, right? So when people are connected to care and things are going well, and, um, and then usually, you know, we we'll, we're, we're not making more outreach calls and connections unless there's something to talk about. And, but then families can always come back and, uh, you know, we can take up where we left off, but I guess the point being is that sometimes just very brief interactions. It might be one or two times that we would talk with a family to get them connected with community resources. Sometimes it's just one, um, for one thing might, might be a mental health, Um, counselor, or it might be a family that has um, multiple um, referrals with, um, you know, occupational therapy and in, you know, for kids with delays, it might be a referral to Frazier for testing. And then maybe we have a referral to neurology or genetics, and it just is overwhelming. So we might help to coordinate some of those pieces to families who would like, like some some help. So as an example.
0: So you had asked me to be sort of a parent advisor on a project that included a lot of different players in medicine and education. Can you tell us about that grant project? Yeah, I um, I'm happy to, it was a project working
1: with early childhood intervention, specifically looking at, um, working with, uh, um, Hopkins school district was a partner and we were hoping to develop that, um, communication loop to close the loop with referrals. So as we were talking a little bit earlier, if there, you know, is a referral to what they call help me grow, which essentially is your early intervention, um, school, early childhood school district program. They, um, if those referrals were made, we're looking for feedback saying, yes, we connected with the family and yes, we, we met with them and maybe they'll be receiving some speech therapy going forward. Just that note that something was connected. And if somebody wasn't connected, it gives us an opportunity to check in and see if there are any barriers and if there's anything that we could do to help make those things happen. Um, but at any rate, the grant allowed us to connect with people in the community, learn more about how um how we operate between medical and school, and how can we better do things and better communicate. And so outside of creating a, a communication process feedback loop, we had this amazing um, conversation around, um, collaboration between the school districts and, um, community services and families and medical. And we were able to, um, uh, be involved in, uh, community education, um, uh, large, um, events where we had presenters. We also were able to involve, um, parent educators uh, in coming into the clinic and having early childhood ECFE classes, early childhood family education in the pediatric office, along with a pediatrician who would visit the class for like the last 15 minutes to to talk generally with families. Um, We were able to um, just make really valuable connections. And the school district recognizing the value of the collaboration with um, medical, I think was eye-opening because they didn't know that we wanted to know and that we cared and they cared and, and how all that exchange happens. And it was really, I thought, exciting. Um Sadly, we had to pause um, and because of COVID and we could no longer meet and things were really turned upside down, but, um, and then the grant time ran out, but we did continue our relationship with the school district and we continued some of the work that we started, um, the feedback loop that we established still continues. It didn't stop because of the grant and the connection and relationship with the early childhood classes continues. Um, and I expect will, um, going forward. So there were some, some good things that came from that, that we also can take those experiences and connect them with other school districts and other, other, um, other services that families participate in, in making better connections with their medical. It's like the silos of care and services for families. It's how do we connect? And I always think of it as like a web and the wheel of how do we do that? And how do we make those connections? So we're still working on,
0: on making those things happen, but that was, that was the work we did. It was really fascinating to be around the table with early childhood people pediatricians and you and um, liaisons for different for the somali community for example and others um, that would be in the educational system and um, just to hear so you did some big things like events and informational um, things then medium size maybe was the course the classes the ecfe classes Mm -hmm but then these, and I think maybe what's, what sounded to me like most impactful to the day to day was that the, what you said, the feedback loop. And when a a family mentions this, that makes this happen. And then within this period of time, we need to um, follow up. Part of what I always say is are we, we're connecting to care. So that's part of our role
1: as coordinators is that we're connecting families to care or connecting them to resources and supports. And so as a connector, that's, that's our piece is making that bridge and, and looking and helping to prevent gaps in care. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably sums up really.
0: Yeah. yeah <laughs> kind of the awesome. essence of what c- the intent of care coordination is. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing all of these pieces about what, what that entails. I'll include in the show notes sort of the, the link that I think it was the Minnesota Department of Health um, mm-hmm. about care coordination. And if you have um, if you want to share anything about the grant related projects or anything, we can include that in there as well. But thank you so much for having this conversation uh, with me today. And it's it's so interesting. I think I like to interview and talk to people whose jobs I think are fascinating. And yours (laughs) is definitely one of them. So thank you so much, Tara. Oh, thank you, Beth. Check out the show notes for some of Tara's resources. And also, we just want to thank the Minnesota Department of Human Services for funding that allows this podcast to be recorded. Thanks. So we invite you to carry some of what you heard today into your day-to-day. Did you find kernels of joy or reassurance? Where did you feel some resistance? Let us know so we can learn and grow together. You can comment and subscribe to the podcast at Communities Engaging Autism's website, www.ceaforautism.org. Share the podcast with members of your village to strengthen those essential connections. And above all,
1: please secure your own oxygen mask before helping others.